Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to another podcast for BDO Talks ERISA. I'm Joanne Zupka, a regional practice leader in our employee benefit plan audit group and a director at BDO. We are excited to have you join us today. As previously mentioned, this podcast is an extension of our BDO ERISA Center of Excellence. We developed the podcast to expand on topics and issues that we bring to you through our social media media postings on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and our quarterly ERISA roundup. The goal of our Center of Excellence is to truly help any plan sponsor and anyone charged with governance of their retirement plan with up-to-date information on what is going on in the industry. We know these professionals wear many hats within their organization, and our Center of Excellence can be a place to quickly get up-to-date information and to help them with our responsibilities. On today's episode, we'll be discussing reportable findings under SAS 136. If you're new to BDO Talks ERISA, the second podcast in our series was a more general overview on SAS 136, and we suggest listening to that episode before this one. We'll link it in the show notes so it's easy for you to find and when you're caught up, we'll be here. Back with me today is Erin Bright. She is a partner in our Denver office and works heavily in our EVP practice. She was a major contributor during our initial conversation about SAS 136. Welcome, Erin. Thanks, Joanne. Super excited to be back and talk more about SAS 136. I know in the first uh, segment of the 136, we discussed the new audit scopes, the ERISA section 103A3C, and non-ERISA section, wait, ERISA non-section 10383C. Still getting a little tongue twisted when I say it. Give it a few more years and then maybe I'll be able to go through it. So the 103A3C scope replaced the limited scope and the ERISA non-section 103A3C replaced our formerly called full scope audits. Yeah, it's definitely a mouthful. Yes. Okay, so today we're going to focus on when a reportable finding may be discussed um, during the audit, communication of the finding, where the finding is reported, and what happens when the plan has a reportable finding. So let me take a second and kind of back up to the other podcast that we just talked about and give you a little bit of information. Um, Back in 2019, the Auditing Standard Board issued SAS 136, forming an opinion and reporting on financial statements of employee benefit plans subject to ERISA, or as we like to call it, SAS 136. So you may be wondering, what does the SAS stand for? It's Statement on Auditing Standards. This means as auditors, we have a new rule that we must follow for plan audits. Um, And SAS 136 covered multiple topics. Um, Again, today we're going to focus on reportable findings, but as you heard, Aaron mentioned there was some terminology change with the the different types of scopes that could be um, selected for your benefit plan audit. So this rule was issued in 2019, and you got to keep in mind the rule was to be adopted this year, but with COVID hitting, a delay was granted until the next year. Our firm had already been adopting other auditing standards within the suites of these new stasses. Therefore, we decided to continue to fully adopt this standard. 
As we said before, with the adoption of SAS-136, if the plan has a reportable finding, there are certain procedures and communications that have to be done with those charged with governance. Aaron, how about we talk about the definition of a reportable finding um, as it's outlined in the auditing standard? Yeah, that sounds like a great place to start. So first, a reportable finding will apply to all employee benefit plan audits subject to ERISA. So those would cover both the ERISA Section 103A3C and the ERISA non-Section 103A3C audits. In the exposure draft of SAS 136, the reportable findings were initially going to be included in the opinion. However, when the final ruling came out, the reportable findings were moved to be um, communicated in the wrap-up communications with the client. So a reportable finding under SAS 136 has basically a three-part definition. The first one being any non-compliance with laws and regulations would be considered a reportable finding. A finding arising from the audit that is in the auditor's professional judgment significant and relevant to those charged with governance or an indication of deficiencies that have not been communicated to management by other parties that in the auditor's professional judgment are sufficiently important to merit management's attention. So there's a lot of auditor judgment in, you know, things that would be considered significant and relevant to those charged with governance or those that would be considered of sufficient importance to management. The other thing to note about a reportable finding is that it has to be communicated in writing, which is consistent with the requirements for material weaknesses and significant deficiencies. Okay. Well, thank you for the uh, three-pronged definition of reportable findings. Um, It's definitely going to be interesting this year. So let's kind of jump right in and talk about real-world experiences here um, from from both of our perspectives. Let's talk about if we've encountered any reportable findings um, as we've started to conduct some of our 2020 audits um, and um, how um, helping others in the profession in regards to any such reportable findings. I know, Aaron, you've also been very involved um, at the AICPA level um, with dealing with SAS 136. So I'd love to get your expertise or, or your knowledge that you could share. but. Um, let's talk about kind of real world experiences and what you've seen on reportable findings. Yeah, so far, um, it's been a lot more analysis and discussions um, as we have findings with the entire audit team, management, plan committees, and governance as we have findings. So it's been a, a more collaborative and a process for the audit, which I think has been great and was one of the intentions of adding the reportable findings to the SAS 136. I think the most common reportable finding that I've found so far this year are late contributions. So late contributions are participant contributions, so deferrals and loan repayments that don't meet, you know, the requirements for timely remittance to the trust. So they were not remitted as soon as administratively feasible. You know, in the past, a late contribution may not have been due to a deficiency in control, and so it may not have been reported. However, since a late contribution is non-compliance with regulations, it falls under this reportable finding category. So we've been adding, you know, discussions on late contributions to our wrap-up communications with management and those charged with governance. Okay, and so... 
you're conduct you're conducting the audit, you're um, going through it. How early are you starting the conversations about? Yeah, reporting? we we start the conversations um, really with that first kickoff meeting of the audit. I think it's important that all of our clients know what a reportable finding is and that they should be um, expecting that there would be a probably a reportable finding in the wrap-up communication this year, whereas in the past, there may not have been too many findings in the communications. I also or, think it's important to figure out what, what they think is important to them. Like, how much detail do they want and what sort of control deficiencies do they find relevant? And to your point, right, um, you had mentioned earlier, it must be communicated in writing. I think to your point um, earlier about the late remittances, a lot of times we might have just had a conversation with a client or it might have been put into an email. Now you're seeing that it's got to be more formalized. Yeah, exactly. And so before, yes, it was usually just a conversation unless we were seeing, you know, many pay periods that were late. Um, we would just have the conversation and let them know that they needed to correct it and give them some correction guidance. Uh, but now it gets written up and included in the wrap-up communications. And um, it will also be included in our management representation letters now. So there will be a rep representation point in the letter that includes all the reportable findings that will be included or were included in the wrap-up communications. And that's a key point, right? Because we have clients that they want to see the rep letter as soon as possible um, because maybe it has to go through OGC or it has to go through multiple levels of review. Um, it's having that communication, kind of knowing what the definition is um, and making the client aware um, where the reportable finding is going to be shown um, and then also having some flexibility with when the items are reviewed. I would say um, one of what I'm seeing in some of my plans is um, forfeitures, right? And so just taking a step back, um, if you have a vesting schedule related to your employer contributions that is spread out over a few years, so you have somebody that wouldn't be fully vested until year five and they, they leave in year three, then maybe they're only 60% vested, 40%. Um, would be what's deemed forfeited. And so the plan is is following the controls. They're forfeiting the, the employer contribution when someone takes a distribution. But then in their plan document, there's a section with how or when forfeitures can be used, um, whether it needs to be used in the year the money was forfeited. And I've actually seen it written in plan documents where it also allows you to go out for another year. So it kind of maybe almost two years um, and what the forfeiture could be used for, such as paying plan expenses, or maybe it has to be reallocated back. Um, again, that would be, it would meet the definition of reportable findings because it's non-compliance um, with your plan document. Um, while it would have no financial impact to the financial statements, it's still um, non-compliance. And so, having we're, we're finding we're seeing that out and having those conversations with clients yeah i think that's a also a very good example of something that is considered a reportable finding that wouldn't have been communicated in the past and, and i the, think under sas 136 there was a new requirement that all significant plan provisions be uh, identified and you know audited and forfeitures are 
on, in some plans considered a significant plan provision. And so maybe in the past, we weren't looking at the use of forfeitures on an annual basis. But now, if it's considered a significant provision, it will be looked at every year. No, so right. Um, and so reportable findings, it's helpful to know the definition. Um, I also, when we're starting to have conversations with clients in the beginning during our planning phase, um, I kind of tell them, I give them examples, uh, but also tell them that, you know, we don't know what we don't know, right? I don't have the crystal ball to say everything is going to be perfect in the audit and just knowing that when we come across something, we will communicate it as soon as possible because, um, you know, an audit doesn't look at every transaction, but until we dive in and actually start to do the audit, it's hard for us to predict what may be those reportable findings. That's a good point. And I think it's it's important to know, right, you had stressed before that in the exposure draft, reportable findings were going to be included in the opinion. But however, when the final ruling came out, um, it is deemed to be a communication between the auditor and the client or those charged with governance. So um, reportable findings are not going into your financial statements. They're not going into the opinion. They're not going to be attached to the form 5500. It's just communication um, between the auditors and those charged with governance. And so that also seems to make clients a little bit happier to know that that information isn't going to be out there for public knowledge um, through EFAS too. All right. So let's see. We uh, we talked about what may be um, discovered during the audit, the communications, um, where the finding is reporting, um, and then what happens when a, a plan has a reportable finding. Um, you know, it's life. Things happen, right? No one is no one is perfect. Um, and so I don't view reportable findings as as a control deficiency. I mean, Aaron, would you think that a reportable finding is less than a control deficiency? Um, I would put it probably in equal par with a control deficiency. I mean, I, I like to think of these as you know, you're hiring an auditing firm that does a great job if you hired BDO. And as part of that, we're here to help you improve. And we work in these all year. We see best practices. And all we want to do is help our clients do as best as they possibly can. And part of that is the wrap-up communications and communications of reportable findings and other deficiencies. Thank you, Aaron, for your discussion today on reportable findings. I think the key takeaway is um, from anybody from the plan side that's out there is start to have the conversation. Start asking your auditors about it. Um, figure out what the communication is, that timing, um, so that you'll be able to prepare um, for when you reach the end of the audit. Um, and it gets time to sign that rep letter and you get your final communications. For our listeners, I think you can tell that we certainly love talking about retirement, retirement plans, and what's happening in the HR industry. A great resource for you would be our BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence on BDO.com. It touches on all topics, reti retirement, and other HR trends to keep plan sponsors up to date. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks ERISA. Past episodes are available at BDO.com slash BDO Talks ERISA, or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also send us feedback, questions, or ideas you have for future topics at BDO Talks ERISA at BDO.com. 
The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit bdo.com slash ERISA.